You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. and welcome back. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is episode 401 of the Comedians Comedian podcast. We took a short break uh, while uh, I kind of let my brain cool off and steam a little bit um, after 10 years of knocking out 400 episodes. So I had a little rest. I'm sure you could permit me that. But now we're back and this episode brings you the wonderful Dulce Sloan in a conversation recorded live at the South by Southwest Comedy Festival. I say that in the comedy strand of the South by Southwest Festival. And people don't know uh, really what it is over here, but it's kind of a tech uh, and movie and music and also comedy uh, festival. And it is a wonderful thing. It's in Austin, Texas. And uh, I was very lucky to go there for, I think, my fourth trip uh, and brought back, amongst other episodes, this absolute classic with Dulce Sloan. So Dulce, you will know from The Daily Show and from her own stand-up. And if you happen uh, to check her out on YouTube, you will see that she is a close-to-indestructible act. She is phenomenally funny, powerful on stage. She has a natural authority. And as we will find out from the very top of this interview, she has not just a natural authority, but also a very intentional authority, which you will find out more about in just a moment. This was a blazing interview live uh, in front of uh, an audience at Esther's Follies in Austin. And it was one of my very favourites of all of my South By interviews uh, that I've done over the last few years. Without further ado, this is the wonderful Dulce Sloan. Let's start by talking about uh, authority. You have the most natural authority of almost any comedian I can think about. And that can be seen in the way you just walked to the stage then. Without what? You just walked on (laughs) Uh and you own the place immediately. And I'd like to talk to you about that and whether you recognise that as a quality and where it comes from and how important to you it is. I came up doing theatre. So I started doing theater when I was like in middle school, maybe before that, like plays at school. So because I came up doing theater, I was taught, you know, regardless of the size, like I have been on like stages and like auditoriums that had like 900 seats with no microphone. So it's speaking to the back of the room, being able to hit the stage, like fill up the entire stage just with your presence because you're there by yourself. Mm-hmm. So since I look, came up doing theater when I started stand-up, like, I already knew. Because that's one of the things, like, comics will ask me, like, oh, what's a tip for, you know, comics starting out? I'm like, one, get out of the green room. 
two. Um, can, can I just ask, what does that mean for people who aren't comics? So the green room is the space where comics are before they go out, right? And when I was starting in Atlanta, they didn't let open micers in the green room because you weren't a comic. You're an open micer. So you weren't, so they would only let regulars at the club. So people who had been passed who were performing there on a regular basis be in the green room because they had earned it. And the reason they wouldn't let newer comics who weren't passed at the club in the green room is so they could be watching working comics. That's why your goofy ass wasn't supposed to be in the green room. Okay. Because you're not learning anything by just sitting here listening to my conversation. Go watch comedy. So for me, it was when I started, because a lot of comics, when they start, it's the having to learn how to write jokes and then having to learn how to just have a stage presence. Yeah. So I tell them starting up, get out of the green room and then learn how to plant your feet and find your light. Because that's one of the hardest parts about watching new comics is there's so much nervous energy in their body. The audience gets nervous for them. Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, well, if he's nervous, he's not confident in what he's saying. She's not confident in what she's doing. I don't trust this person. So I'm not going to believe what you're saying because you don't trust your own body on stage. So if you don't trust you on stage, I'm not going to trust you either. So that's why I'm like, you stand, you plant your feet, you find your light. Every stage has a middle mark to it. Stand on it, find your light, be still. And when you're first starting out, I tell comics, talk to the back of the room. Don't look at anybody. So that's why for me, when you talk about like the authority that I have, it's like I learned early on how to be by myself, whether it's a black box theater or it's a 900-seat theater, how to fill up a stage. But it's also something <clears throat> that you do off stage. Do you see what I mean? Like, I understand absolutely you've got right. great stage craft and you've got real presence in the room. Right. But you also have a natural authority, would you say? Um... That is the nicest way anyone's ever said that I'm intimidating. Um, (laughs) (sighs) Right. I try my very best not to be intimidating. (laughs) And then one day I had to realize that is not my problem. That's not my problem. Because I know other people that, other women that people find intimidating, I do not find those women intimidating. Mm-hmm. But me, but I also have a lot of respect for her because we're both on this, we're both fucking alpha females. So a lot of times when people are just intimidated, it's just like, I had to, because I would feel bad about it and I was just like, this is not my fucking problem. You feel like it's like like I like I remember a girl saying to me when I was in like middle school or high school she was like you think you're better than me and I was like no girl you think I'm better than you I don't think about you Why are we having this conversation <laughs> It's one thing. It's one thing to think that. It's one thing to have that kind of apprehension of of people and how they relate to you. But it's another thing to look them in the eye and say it, right? So would you? I mean, would you agree that that display, like, that's a decision not to kind of uh, please someone? My decision is: if you decided that I'm the bad guy, let me help you. 
Yeah, okay. Because I'm a performer. Yeah. I remember somebody, I remember a pastor saying one time, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Joyce Myers. And she was saying that within every man, there is a joker and a king. And whichever one you call is the one that's going to come out. So, you decided to say to me, upon meeting me, well, I've always thought you were very intimidating. And I was like, oh, well, then let me show you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I can't, cause I, or I could spend all this time going, no, that's not really, you know, how I am. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nice person. Why? Because I didn't even know you. Mm-hmm. And so you've already decided that I'm this thing. And since I'm a performer, well, then let me perform. Because you've already decided my character. Sure. I so mean, then what, let me act. What I actually said was, you have a natural authority. I didn't use the right. intimidating at all. And that's what I'm saying. So, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But you also have to find. What you have to understand is how you say something and how somebody receives it is two different things. Okay. So I know I have an authority when I walk into a room. Mm-hmm. But I was joking by saying that's the nicest way anybody's ever said that I'm intimidating. Sure. Because when you said that to me, I knew what you meant. They heard intimidating. You see what I'm saying? I know the difference between okay. the two. Okay. So that's why I made the joke off of that. So the author- I know I have authority when I talk into a room because I'm taught. I was taught to have that. Yeah. Because I have to be able to control. I have to be able to set what people think about me, because people are going to have a preconceived notion about me. Mm-hmm. So I have to make myself as comfortable as I can when I walk into any room. So that's what the authority is. It's me yeah. coming and going. I refuse to be uncomfortable in this space because I'm uncomfortable a lot of places that I go. Yeah. So I try to come in and go, listen, y'all work for me. Whether that's, <laughs> and that's not like, I mean, it's just, it's an asshole thing to say, but it's for me to be able to be comfortable because a lot of times as a woman, as a black woman, as a plus size black woman, it's people have preconceived notions about you. People have all these things that they think about you. And they've already decided that you're going to be mean. You're going to be scary. You're going to be intimidating. And I can't tap dance to make people feel better mm-hmm. because nobody's ever done anything to make me feel better when I've walked into a space. So how can I spend all of this effort going, I'm going to make this stranger feel okay when they've already decided who I am? So you said that to me to try to put me in my place. Not you. Okay. Not you. Calm down. Now calm down. I mean, I don't don't think I did. Calm down. You're fine. So when you're saying I have an authority coming into a room, that's why. Mm -hmm. Because I've been uncomfortable too many times. And I've had to take care. And and a lot of times I was the only one that looked like me in the room. Mm -hmm. So there was no one to make sure that I was okay. There was no one to check on me. So sometimes it's people... Thinking that I'm intimidating, good. Yeah. Because maybe you'll leave me the hell alone. So sometimes it can be that thing. So it's, but you've, or it's people have been taught, well, you know, this black lady's gonna be loud, she's gonna be mean. Fine. But what you're going to do is not make me uncomfortable in the space that I'm in or disrespect me in the space that I'm in. So the authority that I have when I walk into a place is me establishing my dominance in somewhere. So I am not uncomfortable. Got it. Takes a lot of work, but thank you. It's a great yeah. answer. Thank you.
How many of those Sorry. people just then were intimidated into clapping? There was a lot of people who were like, we love this. And some people were like, I'm absolutely going to go with it as well. Um, what I want to get at is the extent to which, and you've answered the question because I sort of said a natural authority and it sounds like it's a learned authority and I understand mm-hmm. why. Um, Presumably, this is something from what you've said that you learned before you ever took to the stage to do stand-up. This is a, like a, a, a way of approaching life. And you say being This is something from... every black girl has to learn. This is something every black person has to learn. It's everything every black girl has to learn. Because America has a weird relationship with black women. Um... I'm going to say something that's going to sound weird, but the only white people I really trust are Southern white people because Southern white people know black people. Mm-hmm. When I went, so when you leave the South, America's very segregated. Some of the most segregated cities in the country are not in the South. Every Southern white person I know has black friends, went to school with black kids, have been to black people's homes. I know a lot of white people from North, they don't, that's not, you can see how they move. You know, my mother grew up in Miami, integrated. Like, remember when she started, when integration started, she remembers the first time she went to school with white kids. And when I was like real little, we moved Went from Miami to Oklahoma to Colorado. So it's like 1987. And she said Colorado was the most racist place she'd ever been in her life. And she'd gone to school in Tennessee, like West Memphis, like Memphis. Gone to school in Tennessee, grew up during Jim Crow. And said Colorado was the most racist place she'd ever been in her entire life. Because there were no black people there. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, they didn't have a frame of reference. They didn't even know how to be racist, so they were just all the racist. <laughs> Because they didn't even know what to do with her. Because mm-hmm. they were like, bitch, are you lost? Like, what? what? How did you? It's very cold here. We know y'all don't like that. Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Colorado is also the reason I fucking hate... Snow is cute. Day two. Tops. Other than that, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so it's something that you have to learn because you have to learn how to... You're constantly in a defensive mode. Because walking through every store I've ever walked into, I work there. Mm-hmm. No matter what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. I have gone in a Target in full head-to-toe leopard print. <laughs> and some white woman asked me where the registers were. I don't know if you're familiar with a Target uniform. I promise you corporate's not telling them wear head to toe leopard print. <laughs> and so I have a bit about that where this one, you know, woman who looks like a Frankie from Grace and Frankie, so it's just giving you a real retired art teacher vibe. Uh, a <laughs> lot of swinging skirts, big jewelry. Um, I'm standing there just looking at some cheap ass shoes and <laughs> she's like, do you know where the registers are? And I was like, I don't work here. And she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just... I just thought you know where they were. <laughs> and I was like, they're upstairs and to the right, but that's not the point. <laughs> I don't fucking work here. And there was this black girl who worked there who was in the red shirt and the khaki pants. I was like, bitch, can you believe her? She's like, you did know where they were. And I was like, you're not helping. 
fucking helping. So, so can we talk then about the, the relationship between how you use that authority on stage to get laughs? Because it's not that you just come out swinging, mm-hmm. but there is, like, you, you kind of play it like an instrument, right? Because there are moments of, like, it's a, it's a thing that you can apply to an audience so that there are, you can be soft. Like, you have an amazingly kind of childlike energy as well. Oh, I'm a which... big goofball. <laughs> <laughs> I almost bought a bubble bazooka yesterday. <laughs> so what's the what, I'm not getting it to Walmart it's 40 bucks I'm getting it what are you going to do with your bubble bazooka blow bubbles the fuck what you mean <laughs> it's a bubble gun come on dog but like what in what kind of environment in the park on stage in to my your life friends, in your life it don't matter we out here bubble bazooka 60 holes in this bitch we out here live and look at God I'm fucking <laughs> every red blooded American wants a gun Every bread-blooded American trying to shoot these bubbles off. The fuck is you saying, dog? A bubble bazooka winning your American Christian life. Did you ever think that you would be blessed with such an instrument of fun? Get into it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> now I got to buy two of these hoes. But it's... um, I think when it comes to... I have a question. Why are you asking me about my authority? I guess I'm not understanding. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to be shady. I'm trying to yeah. understand what, why the question? Because I'm interested in uh, things like duality. And mm-hmm. I think you have lots of authority. And like, I'm interested in development and creativity and your relationship to an audience. And I'm aware that people, kind of what I'm building up to, is part of the, the phenomenal success you have under every one of your YouTube videos. So much love for you. So many people going, she's fucking doing it. That's it. That's it. I relate to this. And I'm kind of hoping to get there via establishing who you are as a comic on stage and what your relationship okay. to an audience. I mean, oh, so you're breaking down. Yeah, because like one of my friends recently said that like my stand-up is just me talking about things that don't make sense. So it's like... like in terms of things you have a problem with, things you're Right, like, whereas like, because like I had this. a, like, I, ju- I talk about, um, like when I talk about hating New York, um, one, I can't understand why I'm saying such a horrific thing. Like why, because like for a long time I couldn't understand why people were getting so upset. Right. Okay. Like, it's like, I didn't deny climate change. I just said the city's trash. Like, what are we? I didn't say the earth was flat. All I said was the city should be burned down immediately. That's all I said. And I had to realize that the reason people were getting upset is because people take being from New York as a personal, it's their identity. Yeah. And it's their personality. Because, like, if someone says to me, like, I don't like Atlanta, I'll go, okay, move. The fuck are you? I don't own Atlanta. Hell out of my face. What the fuck are you talking about? In fact, me, I don't care. If you talk to people from other cities and you say you don't like their city, they don't give a shit. New York is the main place. It was like, oh, New-, and it's like, oh, if you make your identity being from somewhere, if you make your personality being from somewhere, then when someone says I don't like it, then you take it as a personal attack. Mm-hmm. And so when people react to me, it's one, I don't care. But also, because one girl got in my face, and, just, and one time I just was like on a show, and I was like, I don't understand all this stuff. I said, like, y'all own nothing. 
You rent your apartment. You get on a subway. You have nothing. You can spend your entire life in the city and all you have is clothes. You'll pay thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in your lifetime to rent to someone you've never seen. You leave this earth and you've made no mark. What do you, you have nothing to pass down to your family. You own no land. You have nothing. But tell me more about your museums. <laughs> well, when you say that, I, I just, I, oh, how dare you? No, bitch, how dare I? Yes. <laughs> Buy something, own something, do something with your fucking money. We all know renting is a waste of time. And a condo is just an apartment that you put a, like, put a mortgage on. So when I think of like how I... So I learned one time I was doing a show and it was like, it was weird because it was like, it was a Thursday night and everybody, it was a Thursday night, it was eight o'clock and everybody's plat, like just drunk, drunk. Like second show on a Saturday, drunk. And I was like, what the fuck did y'all do today? Was there a game? What happened? And so they were so drunk and then they were talkative and all the comics, it was like a, I think it was like an open mic or something. And all the comics before me were having such a hard time because they were so loud and so talkative. And so the comic would talk louder, but then they would talk louder and the comic would talk louder. So now it's just a competition. And then I got on stage and because I've been doing theater my entire life, they got loud. And then just by instinct, I didn't think about it. I dropped my volume. But they still wanted to hear what was happening. They just wanted to talk. And repeat what you were saying. So when I dropped my volume, then they got quiet. Mm-hmm. And then I dropped my volume, and then they got quiet. To the point that they had to stop talking to hear what I was saying. And one of the comics was like, when I got off stage, they're like, how did you know to do that? I said, it was just instinct. So that's when I learned, because I was probably like, maybe five years in, four or five years in. And I was like, oh, this is the stuff that I've learned doing theater. Mm-hmm. I can keep applying to doing stand-up. Because it's still an audience. So you can still move them and mold and push them the way you want to have the reactions that you want them to have in the same way that you can do when you're doing a play. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's why I couldn't do Zoom shows. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because the thing isn't there. The instrument isn't I there. I couldn't feel. I, half of it was gone. Because a lot of, because like as a comic, it's like you have these, you're like, the, com- the crowd has a lot of energy. You can have a lot of energy. Or the crowd's really low, so you have to push your energy up to pull them to where you are. Mm-hmm. But I had nothing to feed off of. Like, it's like it was like being in a marriage with your spouse. Because there's no one else there. So I can't tell jokes into the void of the internet because I couldn't feel anything. They were like, I just did my... Boom. And plus, like another comic, Tom Bell, he was like, he couldn't do Zoom shows because if he bombed... In his living room, then he just had to live with a bomb. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's like, I gotta get up every morning to make this bomb breakfast. I don't have time for that. <laughs> and so, like, all, well, like a lot of the comics who had, had didn't have a performance background didn't know what I was talking about. They're like, Oh, you just too think you're too good for it? I said, No, I literally, I don't know what to do because there's no one. I get nothing. 
So like you can't feel anything. Like I couldn't feel anything. Because that's the one thing I like walking out when there's like a room full of people. Like you can feel like the energy of an 8 o'clock show is different from the energy of a 10 o'clock show. A Friday show is different from a Saturday show. Because the crowd can tell you, okay, I'm only doing the hits, right? Or there's some crowds you're just like, ooh, they're fun. Let me see if I can do this thing I was thinking about. Let me see if I can do the silly thing that I haven't been able to do on other shows. Maybe I can try this. Maybe I can try that. Because some crowds, you know, you're just like, all right, 50 fucking minutes, bop, 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 let's go. Mm-hmm. And the other crowds, you can like have a little fun with them or be or just try out new stuff or experiment with them because they're giving you the energy, because they're listening in a way where it's like they're interested. As opposed to, hey, man, I got my two-drink minimum. I got a babysitter, bitch. You got to come on. Mm-hmm. So some stuff is very much factory work. Like, print out. I'm just putting fucking windshields and Buicks. Like, that's just. <laughs> and then other people are like, ooh, let's make some art in this hole. Like, so it's different. You just have to figure out. So that's why I couldn't do shows without an audience. So this is Dulce. I mean, it's a joy to talk to her and what a fun kind of slightly challenging, chewy, exciting interview this is. I mean, I I often go into interviews regardless of who they're with thinking, God, I hope the person doesn't kind of hit back at me. You know, it's one of my anxieties is that someone will go, well, why are you asking that? Um, and it, it's, but when it happens, it's quite fun. And uh, I, I was pleased, I think, to give a half decent answer to why I was asking uh, about Dulce's authority. Um, and uh, I think it is, it was a sort of pertinent and relevant question. I understand her reticence to, not reticence to answer it exactly, but I understand that she's probably been through a bunch of interviews and exchanges um, which uh, what might make her raise an eyebrow at someone's motivation for asking questions. But I think we got some incredibly good stuff here. And there is more to come, including 25 minutes of extras uh, available exclusively to the Insiders Club, including Dulce on collaboration with The Daily Show writers and a fascinating walkthrough of her technique for exploring a subject by trying to make the senseless makes sense or the nonsensical makes sense I suppose so that's where she takes us through the creation of a routine so if you're in the insiders club that is a joy if you're not you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all the extras from every episode that has them now tiny bit of plugging here I am in the middle of doing a bunch of preview dates work in progress shows towards my work in progress show at the Edinburgh Festival this year I'll be doing the 4th to the 11th of August at the Monkey Barrel the poster is now visible on social media and indeed the Monkey Barrel and Ed Fringe websites. Uh, You can follow my socials at ComComPod. The poster is a joy. It's by Andre Pattenden and you can find him at AndrePattenden.com. He's an incredible photographer. You can also find him on Instagram at Andre Pattenden. And let me tell you, if you like seeing pictures of people in the circus with mirrors and body paint and reflected light all over them in a sumptuous kind of way that will make your eyes melt, check that out. AndrePattenden.com or at AndrePattenden on Instagram. He's taken tons of photos 
photos for me and uh, this one is I think one of my all-time favorites ever but look it's about the shows and if you want to come and see some of the work in progress is that I'm doing you can see me at the Bristol Comedy Festival on the 15th of May um, you can see me in Leamington Spa on the 13th of May confusingly two days earlier than that that's a, a double work in progress with Sarah Keyworth who uh, some of which I saw at the McCuntleth Comedy Festival doing Beat This with Rob Deering and everyone was funny and Keyworth absolutely walked away with it she's so so good so I'm really looking forward to a bunch of previews with her there's another one of those in Sirencester or Sissister if you're from the 1800s and care about how you pronounce things that's on the 20th of May I'm in Swindon on the 6th of June in Bournemouth on the 8th of June Salisbury on the 16th of June Bath Rondo uh, on the 29th of June which is a wonderful theatre but all the more so when it is full that's a double header with Nabil Abdul Rashid which is going to be great the 3rd of July I'm in Fordingbridge with Andrew White on the 7th of July uh, I'm back with Sarah Keyworth at the Ark in Winchester on the 13th of July I'll be at Smoke and Mirrors with the fantastic Sindhu V on the 14th of July I will be in Cardiff City Centre at a converted chapel that's exciting 20th of July is Oxford and the 22nd of July is Tringe, part of the Tringe Festival in Tring. So plenty of opportunities to see me working on this stuff and the stuff is so good. I'm so excited. Part of me, and this is hubris, but part of me after the McCulloch Comedy Festival felt like, why am I doing a work in progress this year? Let's just knock it out. This is the show. But uh, then it occurred to me that I could simply spend an entire year making this the single best show I've ever done. So if you would like to come along and be part of that, please do. All of those dates and more you can find at comedianscomedian.com or on my socials, as mentioned before, at ComComPod on your various things. Now, all of that plugging, notwithstanding, all of those as well will be, there's another mail out coming soon, so sign up for the mailing list at comedianscomedian.com or stuartgoldsmith.com. All of that being said, let's get back to the magnificent Dulce Slay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you find that you're... That, that that particular way in which you relate to an audience, and specifically in terms of, as you say, listening to that energy, controlling, molding, flowing with that energy, kind of yeah. leading and following, do you find that that is reflected in the comedians that you most admire and respect, that they do that too? Or are there people you love who don't really play it like that? They do it in a totally different way. I can... I don't... I can say the comic that I... There's like two, three comics that I really, when I watch them, I really pay attention to the crowd. Because I don't call it comics I watch. I'm like, you know, it's I just want to hear their set. I just want to watch them because I enjoy mm-hmm. them. But like, 
I think my favorite comic to watch when it comes to the crowd is Sean Patton. Because he is so... He's so he's very good at bringing the crowd up and down with him, and Baron Vaughn's the same way. But Baron House has a theater background, so I like to watch him to see how he, because his jokes are different, and so I like to see how he moves the crowd. Because a lot of because I've heard a lot of comics say, "I don't even care about the crowd," and I was like, "How the fuck can you not?" If these people didn't get dressed and come in this room, you wouldn't have a job. You have to, this is the other half of the equation. Because if nobody comes to see you perform, you have no career. Mm-hmm. So how do you not care? You just want people to hear you talk. That's not entertainment. You don't, you don't care about the people in the room. You're writing jokes for you. So what is it? Because there are people who do that successfully and have careers and audiences and followings. What is it, do you think, that they are... Do what successfully? That they just kind of have their stuff, that they don't pay as much attention to the, the crowd. Like, what they're interested in is a beautifully crafted joke or a story that's related. There's no you know? comic that's successful that doesn't care about a crowd. Because the crowd keeps you successful. So you're not going to say anything that'll alienate your audience. You have to know who your audience is to know if they'll come with you on some wild shit. Or if you're just like, okay, I'm going to have to start just, again, putting these windshields in just to get these fucking kids. I got I got rent to pay, right? So you have to care about your audience because your audience is going to let you know what they'll take from you. So with, with that in mind, just coming back to the, the hating New York stuff, yeah. presumably, like, you know yeah. that that is a provocative thing to say. Like, you right. know, you're saying that about New York rather than about any random city well, in the States about any which... city as much. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. But No we... city has ever given me so much evidence. <laughs> so... So do you know what I mean? Like the part of that is is mischief, isn't it? It's knowing that's going to provoke a response in people. Like you feel it passionately, but part of the reason you make material out of it is because you know that when you say it, it will get some people's backs up. So there's like a tension in the room. I talk about it because it's how I feel. Because I have a lot of New Yorkers come up to me after shows and go, I hate this place, but shh, don't tell nobody. <laughs> But again, it's me processing information and going, but y'all see this, right? But y'all saw what, y'all see this, right? Like, I'm not the only one. There was a blizzard and you called it a bomb cyclone. What? A cyclone is a hurricane in the South Pacific and a bomb is a fucking bomb. What are we talking about right now, right? And because, so it was, because a blizzard fucking hit and they got on the news and called it a bomb cyclone. I was like, what the fuck are we talking? We already have a word for this. It's called blizzard. What are we doing now? <laughs> and so I just told my experience of being like, it's, it was so much snow and they still wanted me to go to work. <laughs> no. <laughs> snow means stay home. Jesus has blessed us with frozen water on the ground. You stay home. So now you're, I got to figure out all these... So, like, I'm trying to get an Uber, and I'm trying to tell me to get on the train. The train's above ground train. So it was only seven degrees outside. So, I joke, and you know, the joke is, like, the degree, it was seven degrees outside is the high. So those are all the degrees we were going to get that day. 
And I just riffed that one time because I was like, it just popped in my head one time. And I was like, those are all the degrees we're going to get that day. And it started getting a laugh. And I was like, oh, I guess that is funny. But in my brain, it was like, well, it was seven. <laughs> That's all we was going to get. Um, but it was just me processing that. And it just like, or it's, I say that I hate it, but then I give you absurd things. Because like, I literally was like, was like, I, like if the Lord ever sees, because when I say I'm going to, I want the city to burn down immediately, people are like, oh no. But I'm like, yeah, because like if the Lord ever sees fit to bless me with a dragon, I'm burning that bitch down. I'm going to borough to fucking borough. I'm burning it down. I'm starting with Staten Island because no one knows what to do with it. Shouldn't this just be New Jersey? But I give two caveats, and I'm like, the only thing I would leave is, you know, the, uh, the house of mob wife, Drita DeVanzo. Um, in the mural to Big Ange, shout out to Big Ange. So, even in the midst of trying to burn down a city, I'm like, I still got respect for the mob wives. Um, but then I go into this thing about I would let people evacuate, you know? Mm-hmm. It's 24 hours if you're single, 48 hours if you have a family. <laughs> Two weeks if you're a person of color, because we're not going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, flame on. So... I just talk about all of these things that are just absurd. Like, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't understand, like, how this works or why this happens. Or, you know, I was talking about, like, with COVID, they put the six-foot stickers on the ground, which was amazing. Because, like, first, I remember looking at them going, is this six feet? (laughs) I've never seen it on the ground, so I don't... I just wanted, like, I was walking with my homeboy, and I was like, hey, lay down. I want to figure something out. <laughs> you said you was 6'3", let's see, right? <laughs> but I talk about how, like, I love the stickers being on the ground, because before the stickers, you'd just be at the store, like, you know, picking out citrus like a good woman, Christian Ooh. woman does. And <laughs> some man's dick would be on the back of your leg. And you'd be like, sir, can you back up? You're like, oh, this is New York. And I'm like, give a fuck about geography. <laughs> Get your flaccid dick off my leg. Because <laughs> that's the thing that's the most insulting. Because, <laughs> like, so now I'm like, sir, back up. And he's like, well, you're in New York. And I'm like, either you're going to put it in or you're going to back up. What do you want to <laughs> do? But now I'm yelling, you want to fuck me or not in a Whole Foods. And now I'm inappropriate, right? Like, I'm not inappropriate. He's a fucking tease. What are you talking about? Now I'm getting kicked out of a store. Fuck you, bro. So with, with, mater- with material like that, you're, the starting point is something that you are... That you were saying your friend observed that, that the starting point was often something that confused you or something that... Right, like off. just something that doesn't make sense so I'm just like I don't know why this is a thing like I don't know why because like I was talking about zoom and I was just like what my first zoom call had 20 white people in my house I didn't invite like I don't I didn't agree (laughs) I did not consent to this so it's like so it's just me trying to break down stuff yeah or it's also like 
Yo, let me tell y'all what happened. It's other jokes that I have. Yeah, okay. Because I like telling a story. Because, like, I grew up, like, I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in the, like, I'm Southern. So we love spinning a yarn. We love telling a tale. You know, very much in the mindset of, if you don't have anything good to say, come sit by me. Um... Because one of my friends come up to me, she's like, girl, I'm like, what's going on? Who don't we like? What's going on? Because that's, but I grew up, because a lot of my jokes I think of as stories. Because that's how I got into comedy was, um, a co- I, one of my little sisters from college was managing, was running the door at a comedy club, and she used to let me come hang out and get in for free. And so I would go up there all the time, because like the play I was working on had closed. So I was like two years out of, like two years out of college. And just being up there talking to them all the time, they were like, when the comics, Big Kenny Johnson was like, you know how to tell a joke. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, you know how to tell a story. Okay. He's like, you know where a punchline is. You need to take my stand-up class. And I was like, mm And for two years, he would invite me to shows and to try to get me to take the stand-up class because he was like, you are a comic. You are supposed to be doing this. And what was what was the resistance for you when he first said that and you went, Mm-mm. It scared the shit out of me. Because I grew up doing plays and musicals and singing. So every time I'd been on stage, I wasn't myself and they weren't my words. Every time I was on stage, I was acting. And even when I was on stage, if it wasn't, I was singing, but I was playing, I was Adelaide from Guys and Dolls or, you know, Sarah's Friend in Ragtime. So I was never myself saying my own words on stage that I had written. Yeah. And the, Jeopard- the Jeopardy is much, totally different if it's just you. Well, yeah, because like I'd, I'd been on stage by myself and done monologues and different things like that and been in competitions, but they still weren't my words. It's, it's really, I can't be the only person here who finds it hard to imagine you being scared of anything. So talk to me about that fear like what was it a fear of i know that i mean i didn't start stand up for years when i kind of had the notion to Mm -hmm. because i was scared of being heckled or i was scared of you know what i mean there was some sort of like maybe it's the loss of dignity or something like that you know that you might you promise to be funny you fail and that's gonna hurt deeply that was my fear like what was the what was the fear for you that like what was the what was what did that kind of i didn't know how to be myself on stage and you knew how to be yourself off stage because you're very kind of composed yeah, I never to be myself off stage, but being on stage and not being in character, I didn't know how to be on stage and not have a fourth wall. I've broken the first, fourth wall for a joke plenty of times, but then you get to close the wall back up. So I've never been on stage and it was only interacting. Like yeah. I've done monologues before, but a monologue is not two hours the fuck long. Or it's not, it's a monologue, it's 90 seconds. So going on stage and being directly to the audience and talking directly to them. And then it's for the same way, like, you know, when someone's funny, we all know when someone can sing, regardless of what all these TV shows try to tell us or the radio. Um, You know, when you hear someone and you know, they can sing, Mm -hmm. you know, when you watch somebody and you think they're funny. I did not know. I knew how to be funny. I knew how to tell a funny story. But I didn't know how to do it without the context of knowing the person. Yes, got it. Okay. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, t- so it was like there would be vulnerability because you wouldn't, you knew that you wouldn't be able to deliver at that stage. Like you could come on stage a, and be a brilliant actor. I didn't have a level of familiarity, uh, familiarity to where I could tell you a story that was in reference to something that you just said because I don't know you and you're not even supposed to be talking. So I get out on stage, it's a cold call every time. And I'd worked customer service before. Cold calling is very hard. Yeah. So every time I get on stage, it's a cold call. And then when you first start stand-up, every time you get on stage, it's for information. You're trying to make sure that this is funny. Now when I get on stage, it's for confirmation. I know it's funny. I'm waiting for you to catch up. That's good. I've never heard anyone in nearly 400 episodes put it like that. That's beautifully put. <laughs> Thank you. Can you give us an example of something that would be written for you that you would have, that you would have to edit? Something you would go, this isn't my voice. Because presumably... I don't, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's you do so many things. Uh, it's like someone asked me, what college did you perform at on Tuesday? And I was like, I don't know. I know I was there. Um... Well, no, I can say, like, we did a piece um, for the Dulcean segment about Kwanzaa. And originally when the piece was written, there wasn't a lot of information about the holiday itself. We were talking about Kwanzaa as a concept and as a holiday, but there was no information about, like, the seven days and what the days were called and what the different colors of the candles meant and all of that. That wasn't included. So my thing was, we can't talk about this holiday without informing people of the holiday. So that's when, so we were getting ready to shoot it, and I was like, we don't, this isn't done. So then they went back and like research, we researched everything, and we included all of that, and then we went back and did it. But that's a main thing where I'm just like, I got something, and I was like, we need to fix this, because we can't. You can't talk about something without informing people of it at the same time. So that was my whole point with it. And I was like, also, the internet will murder us if we talk about this thing without informing people about what it's about more than just this was a holiday that was started in the 70s or the 60s. Okay. And is that something, because of the nature of the writing on The Daily Show, the nature of the, the uh, the whole package... When you say we've got to make sure that the internet doesn't murder us, like that must be a very kind of... Like, do you read any of the comments on any of the video clips on YouTube? Do you totally stay out of that? Well, most comments on the internet are people calling me fat. So, and I know that. Um, so no one's giving me any... I've never been scrolling through fucking YouTube and been like, I'm fat son of a bitch. <laughs> it wasn't until just then. When 69 boy 87... <laughs> Told me, but no, I try. I, my manager told me a lot of times, uh, stay out the comment section. Uh, I, I have to say, they, in my experience of looking at your videos in prep for this, it's a huge amount of positivity. There is, but I think there's also somebody that goes through and deletes the bad things. <laughs> um, maybe I don't know. I don't read them because you know I work hard to hold on to the self esteem. Um, it's. Ask me again, because I want to make sure that I answer this correctly. Ask me again. Uh, I feel like you've already answered it. I kind of, I'm interested in your relationship to your audience, I guess. It's not so much a specific question as 
I mean, now I want to talk to you about holding on to the self-esteem because, <laughs> because I like you're you're clearly a very powerful woman, a very powerful performer. Right, but that and doesn't I mean I'm in, not a person. Say again. That doesn't mean I'm not a person. No, no, for sure. So right. I'm interested, but I'm interested in those vul- in those vulnerabilities and like how you for people for uh, newer comics maybe listening to this who are vulnerable to those to people attacking them and people making you negative never, comments and you stuff. Never you know, Stop being vulnerable to people taking time out of their day to say something ugly to you. You never stop being vulnerable to that. Um, a great example of that is Khloe Kardashian, where she said after six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of people saying all of these things about me. I started to believe it. Because if all of these people are saying, if all of these people are taking their time to say something about you, how do you know they're not wrong? Right? And if you're saying something that can hit someone in an insecure spot, then all this is is just, again, confirmation that the thing that you don't like about yourself could be the thing that other people don't like about you. So, for me, like, when I was on CNN on New Year's Eve, and Don Lemon asked me what my New Year's resolution was, and I said, no more broke dick in 2022. <laughs> Masks coming soon. I have one right here. <laughs> Get into it. Also, T-shirts already available, toolsaysloan.com. Um, he, first of all, people thought that when I, he asked me to repeat it, he was trying to do a bit. He wasn't. He literally couldn't hear me. Because we had IFB. I don't know if y'all know what an IFB is. Are you ever saying like news reporter had like the little coil in their ear? We had them in each ear so we could hear production in New York or New Orleans. And so he's like, what'd you say? And he took it out and I said it again. He's like, what'd you, because we're now we're in the streets. He's like, what'd you say? And I was like, no more penis from a man who has no money. But, right, somebody felt that. Um, <laughs> And I'm sure it was someone who isn't wearing a platinum badge. <laughs> but the next thing out of my mouth was, but it's always good. Because <laughs> it is. Because <laughs> I have a joke about, you know, broke dudes have the best dick because they have to fuck you to sleep, so they have a place to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Because they do, like, you have to be careful when they come in your house because you have to make sure they're walking around with two backpacks. Um, one backpack hanging around New York City, two backpacks sleeping around New York City. And you don't need this fool in your house eating all your meats and cheeses. So I said, it's the next thing out of my mouth, but it's always good, right? And then I was like, but you can't be fucking, like, if you're going to be dealing with someone who has man bits in 2022. If he can't afford to get you to the Caribbean, quit fucking with him. Because the Caribbean's not expensive. You can get $89 jet, jet blue tickets to Kentucky and Caicos. That's around a good Uber. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you're dealing with somebody who can't Uber you home, girl, why? Like, and I, because I just want people to do better. Like, again, you don't know when you're going to be called to start a ministry. So, but the backlash was from dudes who had to borrow their friend's phone 
<laughs> to shit on me. And you, un- and you know what the main comment back was. How dare she say that she should be glad somebody's even talking to her. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, calling me fat is not going to put more money in your bank account, bro. Get a job. Like, it's not... And But that was the main comment. So it was, how can she be saying this because she looks like this? Or then there were some people like, this is an embarrassment to black women. I'm like, no, the fuck it's not. What happened was a woman told you no. A woman you don't know told you no. So you got, so like like a month ago, me and one of my friends were hanging out at the, at the Fat Black and some broke individual comes up to me talking about how that affected him. And my, and my friend who was sitting there told one of my other homeboys, he was like, if I hadn't have been sitting there, she would have had a problem. Because he came up to me, he was like, I can't believe that you said that. He's like, it was all over my timeline. I was like, okay, well, thank you. Um, and he was like, well, I'm broke. And my friend was like, no, nah, you're not broke, you know, in spirit or whatever. And I was like, but he was... And he was like, yeah, that really affected me. And I was like, okay. And he was just trying to bellyache to me. And I was like, or you could get your money up. Like, what do you want? Because now you're attacking me. So you came, you cold called me into an argument that I wasn't going to have. Because he kept going at a certain point. I was like, I'm not talking about this. Because I don't have to. I don't know you. So it's, and that's not, because I was telling like Sam J, I was talking to Sam J about it. And Sam was like, and I was telling her about all this backlash of people being all mean to me and trying to hit me up on all of social platforms. And she was like, but you didn't even say anything that's groundbreaking. I was like, I know. <laughs> I didn't reinvent the fucking wheel. All I was like, I was like, I'm not fucking no more broke dudes. Ta-da. But there were a lot of women that were like, you know what? I'm not fucking no more broke dudes either. <laughs> and a lot of people in the queer community hit me like, I'm not fucking, I'm like, great, wonderful, beautiful, ha-ha. And she was like, you didn't say anything groundbreaking. And I was talking to Chris Red about it. And Chris Red was like, you didn't say anything groundbreaking, but you said something that broke their ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a man that said this. Because you're not allowed to be able to tell men no. That's why as a woman, I can't voluntarily get a hysterectomy without explaining to 30 fucking people why I don't want to have kids. I want to have children. I want to have children. Please, Jesus. I want to have children. I want a husband. But one of my friends doesn't want kids. She cannot go and get that procedure done. But her boyfriend can get a vasectomy with no fucking questions asked. So it's I always have to explain myself to men of any background or whatever so when you're talking about like me having an authority, an authority when I walk in, it's so I don't have to explain myself to any man that's in a fucking room. Well, what are you doing here? Because I already have to explain myself to any white person in any fucking place that I'm in. I could be in the hotel lot. Well, are you staying here? Bitch, do you work for Marriott? <laughs> so it's always being in a place where I'm just like, I have to, always being asked to explain myself about something. Always having to make other people feel okay for my existence. And so my stand, I, I did a show the other day and this woman was like, 
goofy ass woman. I was in Arizona. And she came up to me and she was like, you know, thank you for not being political. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> she knows from the Daily Show. So she, because she didn't hear Republican or Democrat, she didn't think I was being political. But I was being socio, like I was, I shit on white people for 20 minutes. Like I don't, <laughs> like I talked about my, like every time I get on stage, it's political. Because I talk about my experience as a black woman in America. So every time I talk, it's taken as political, even though sometimes I just want to talk, get on stage and talk about, fuck it. Like that's all I came, because like my manager asked me one time, he was like, are you going to start talking about a lot of the political stuff that you talk about online? I said, no, I'm in my dick phase. That's what I want to talk about. Because for a long time I didn't talk about stuff like that. But now I've got a whole like 10, 10 minutes about me being in heat. And, and trying to touch men to see if they have a strong back. Like, I'm out here. And I still don't know why I'm trying. Like, I don't know what that means. What if I'm going to rooftop bar in Nashville just touching men's backs? <laughs> trying to get information that my brain didn't know, but my body knew. Because, like, talking about the fact, like, like I don't want to have sex, I want to mate. That's a different thing. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm still talking about myself, but it's always... I spend a lot of time just going through my internet because like the positive comments are always appreciated because it's like these are people who enjoy what I do but the negative comment is always the same thing. It's always someone trying to say, it's always talking about my appearance, right? Because I had a guy do that after I did the piece on the show about uh, black women's equal pay day, right? Because they talk about like, you know, women making 80 cents to the dollar but that's white women. Mm-hmm. Black women like like 69 cents on the dollar to white men. But we're only giving white women statistics and then Latinx women and Native American women make even less than that. Mm-hmm. So Asian women and white women make about the same and then all the rest of us make less than that. And the piece I put on Facebook and this man you know, said something about my weight or how I look. And I went, you went... You searched for me on Al Gore's internet. (laughs) Right. To call me fat? And then his response was, well, I I, I don't know all the ways to explain to you why you were wrong about black women's equal pay. And then I responded back, if that was your issue, you should have said that. But you didn't want to say that was your problem. You wanted to say something about how I look because you figured that that would be the first thing to get a response. Or it's you could not put into words how you felt and how I was wrong. So it's, again, just attack my appearance. But, again, I don't go... I don't hate watching anything because I don't understand the concept. Mm-hmm. I don't go looking for people that I don't like on the interwebs Because why am I spending time in a space where I'm unhappy? So the idea of going to find someone to threaten them and to be mean to them and to be racist to them. Like I had a woman say something racist to me and she used the wrong your. (laughs) So I just responded back, asterisk, the correct your. And then she goes, autocorrect isn't always correct. Ha, 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 ha. And I just went, what are we doing now? Like, <laughs> you were being racist. We ain't friends. It's confusing. 
when when you're when you are exhausted by that by always having to fight i just delete that's the thing. One of my friends, Marcel Arguello, if you want to see somebody go toe-to-toe <laughs> with motherfuckers on Twitter, follow Marcel Arguello because she has time all day. <laughs> she is a bitch, and she is proud to tell you she is a bitch, and she is a magnificent bitch. She's amazing. She will go all day with these fools. Me, you came to my internet in the trailer where I pay rent to say something ugly to me. Very easy fix. Block, delete. You came looking for me. I don't know you. You came looking for me. So why am I going to spend time in my day to entertain you? Block, delete. That's it. I don't have to argue with nobody. Why am I arguing with a stranger? For what? So, but it is, it is, but you have to read the comment to delete it. Yeah. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. I have to see. And you can tell by the first couple words. Well, you don't delete. I don't have to read the rest of this. <laughs> so I know how it starts. But it is, exa- it is exhausting. And so what I'll do is I'll go back and look at the other comments. Because people ask, somebody asked me one day, it's like, you worry about haters? I was like, no. I think about fans. Haters don't buy tickets. Fans buy tickets. Haters don't come to see you. Fans come to see you. You can spend a lot of time. I always think about the one, and this has always been confusing to me. As a comic, you'll see a room full of people like this. And then there's one person, and I'm just pointing at you just because you're humans in the front. You've been very nice. And there'll be one person in the front whose arms is crossed. And a comic will focus on that one person. And there's a hundred something people who are laughing. But all a comic can see is that one person. And I would watch comics do this. Or you're at a show and there's only ten people there. And every comic's like, we could done this in my living room. I didn't have to be here. And I'm like, why are you being mean to the people who fucking showed up? Mm-hmm. You could have had an empty room. But ten people got on a train or took an Uber and got fucking dressed to come see you perform. Be nice to those people. So I had to stop looking at the one person with their arms crossed and be happy for the 10 people that showed up. Because that's what's going to be more beneficial to me. There's a whole room of people laughing and that one person got their arms crossed. I don't know what the fuck happened to them that day. It's also none of my business. I don't know right, I don't know why you sat in the front across your arms. You could have sat in the back. You wanted me to see you do this. <laughs> and so what you're going to watch me do is ignore you. I'm not going to pay you no mind. You won't be unhappy. You do it on your own fucking time. Because at the end of the day, you still got a two-item minimum in this bitch. So I'm going to get your money anyway. <laughs> so I think that's the thing that I would want comics to do is like stop paying attention to the person who's not fucking laughing. There's a hundred people, 98 people are enjoying you. Quit looking at them. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to this stuff online, it's some, cause sometimes people just say certain stuff and I'm like, yo, who the fuck are you talking to? This is what you did with your day? What's going on at your house? That's none of my business. Cause sometimes when you go back and forth with people, you're like, oh, this is all you have is to go back and forth with somebody 
with 100,000 fucking followers on Instagram. This is all you have. You go and do it. And, and I'm not trying to diminish anybody, but I am. <laughs> this is the highlight of your day. You're a mosquito in my ear. So I have to make the conscious decision to not make you a big thing in my day. Mm-hmm. Because some guy got on my Instagram and was saying shit about like how rude it was that I said that on CNN. And so I just deleted the comments. And then he went on Daily Show's page and was telling them that they needed to reprimand me for saying that on CNN. And, of course, that did not happen. But because I ignored him, he tried to call the police on me. Fuck 12. Fuck 12. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So he went to the show Instagram. Yeah, because okay, I didn't yeah, acknowledge yeah. him. Yeah. He went to Daily Show's Instagram trying to get me in trouble. Bitch, my boss is a comic. (laughs) And I work for Comedy Central. I don't work for CN fucking N. I was not reporting the news. But I was. So that was Dulce, 25 minutes of extras with her available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, including that brilliant walkthrough of how she gets the most out of a subject by kind of questioning the things in it that don't make sense and trying to make them make sense. Really, really fascinating stuff there for any student of comedy, um, plus all of the other stuff as well. You can catch up with Dulce at Dulce Sloan on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also, you can follow at The Daily Show on Twitter and you can go to dulcesloan.com to see all the other things. I mean, we only really talked about stand-up, but she's also... Um, I think writing and directing uh, TV and movies as well and being involved in all sorts of stuff. So check out DulceSloan.com. She is uh, an incredibly powerful voice in comedy and one of those people about whom I'm really excited to see what she does in the next 10 years and beyond. This podcast is at ComComPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can sign up to the mailing list for all your dates and extra bits and bobs at ComediansComedian.com and indeed StuartGoldsmith.com. And if you're a business person, I offer remote and in-person talks to you about what your business can learn from comedy and comedians about resilience. So find out uh, more about those at StuartGoldsmith.com. So that's everything. Uh, Postamble coming at you in just a moment. But other than that, goodbye for now. What a few months it has been. I've uh, I've missed you and I've also had a lovely time not talking to anyone from my cellar. I've got a new raft of um, comedians coming in just now. I'm booking up at the moment. Um, and uh, again, I will not tell you their names. I, I got in the post, uh, the I posted in the Slack workspace, which is a thing you get when you're in the Insiders uh, Club, um, about all the people who I'm currently in talks with. And then I got cold feet seconds later and deleted it because I just never like to... Uh, to reveal who's on next until the stuff is safely in the can. Speaking of which, we've got Daniel Rigby and Bobby Mayer coming up soon, and those are both crackers. So really, really good comics, really good interviews coming your way shortly and buying me three weeks' worth from now um, of uh, getting my skates on and booking a load of other people. Edinburgh is coming up. Oh, my God. I think it's... I mean, it's going to happen, right? Barring... Like, we're over. We're over variants now, aren't we? Sure. So (laughs) barring anything... Uh, as unforeseen as COVID was, it looks like it's actually going to happen. God, it was great being at McCuncliffe. I had a wonderful time there. Thank you, as ever, to Henry Whittacombe and all the team who put that together. It's just a phenomenal experience. And this year, 
I mean, two interesting things happened this year for me. One is that there's obviously that incredible rush of like, oh my God, we're doing it again. This is all back. It seemed like a dream. It wasn't a dream. It's here. And then the other thing that happened is, is I spoke to a couple of um, comics about this, which is that there's um, like the the gap because we were away for a couple of years, the gap was more pronounced. The gap being, um, you know, when you see someone's kids and you've not seen them for a couple of years and then you see them and, you, and they've shot up. All of these comics had shot up. I was like, oh, God, who sort of some of the mainstays weren't there and loads of uh, exciting new, not new, but newer kind of people were there. And you were going, oh, you've done three hours by now and you were just a little pipsqueak before. And now here you are. Um, and similarly, it, it just had a different vibe and not unwelcome at all. But uh, it felt like it had changed. It felt like there had been churn. Churn, I know, as being um, a thing that was described to me when I first got over kind of a couple of thousand people on my uh, mailing list. And then you'd send an email and a bunch of them would leave. You'd go, why are they all leaving? And someone explained to me, no, that's just churn. When there's enough people involved in a thing, you know, they're not all going to be as committed as each other. So you have to get used to this concept of churn. Similarly, there has been kind of churn within the Mac guests, the the um, the comics, the people in the bar, the which bar people drink in. It's all kind of changed all over again, as well it should. And it kind of made me think about Edinburgh coming up and whether, I mean, Edinburgh is such a constant, in such a constant state of churn. What will feel different when you've not been there for the last two years. Now, I won't know because I have been there for the last two years, having um, taken a show up last year and then the year before that, having just been in town for a couple of days anyway and watched some street shows just to keep the whatever it is now, 28, 29 year unbroken. Can't be 29. Is it? I mean, it must be. I'm sure it's 27 Edinburgh's that I've been. Maybe this is number 27. So the, the record remains, the chain remains unbroken. Oh, God. And talking of unbroken chains, I mean, I've I've spoken to you a little bit in the past. <laughs> I've spoken to you a little bit in the past about um, uh, exercise and the fact that for the last couple of years now, I've been doing 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes a day, normally at most 20 minutes a day, but sometimes at least 20 minutes a day um, of either yoga or a hit session or a very occasional self-loathing run. And um, and I've been doing that daily and it has helped change my attitude toward exercise ever since. And you'll know if you've listened to all of these. So the, if you're one of those six people, thank you. Um, do you remember a few years ago, I went for a run and after seven minutes, I went, I can't do anymore. And I was stricken. Well, now I'm just ashamed to admit I've become a bloody runner. Only lit, only little runs, but like I did, I did three miles yesterday and I did three miles again today. And surely that means you're a runner, even if it's just the equivalent of a couple of open mics, meaning you're a comedian. Um, but the secret is this is OK. So there's two secrets. One, the regular unbroken chain. That's absolutely uh, I would recommend if you are a, a person who hates exercise as much as I do. Um, and I hate it. And I hate it a bit less now. I have to admit, two and a bit years in, I do hate it a bit less. But I don't love it. I don't look forward to it. But the simple fact of going, I'm going to do a tiny bit every single day, even if it's just gentle yoga and stretching or something. It's just you keep the chain unbroken, like the Seinfeld thing. You put a did he ever say this or was he misquoted? I don't know. You put a cross in your in your little paper calendar every day. You write jokes until you've got a little line of crosses and your only job is to make sure you never break the chain. Well, that's what I've been doing with exercise. And so there has been a bit of a bump to my general uh, fitness, I guess, in that time, I would hope. But then also the other thing, and this, if you're thinking of running, oh, I said two secrets. One of them is that make sure you're not going too fast, because I think as soon as I started, 
running with people. The other one is running with people. As soon as I started running with people, I was like, oh, we're only going this fast. And I realised, oh, for, for ages, for years, whenever I've gone on my one of my very, very occasional runs, I've kind of pushed myself too fast, thinking, oh, I've got to run. And, uh, and then blown myself out and been exhausted after between 7 and 15 minutes and then hated it and then not returned. Slow down a bit. What did we do today? We did something like a mile every nine minutes. It's not mega fast. It's just a gentle little thing. But it means that in in half an hour, you do just over three miles and you feel like an absolute hero. So but the other the big, big secret, I am a wholly and completely different person. If I'm running on my own with headphones, listening to a podcast or some God knows awful news thing. Um, or if I'm running with people, having a chat and completely taking my mind off it. Do you remember when I very briefly got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? The most fun thing about it is that it allowed you to exercise and to do fun physical stuff without ever thinking about it because you were too busy trying to stop someone twisting your head off. Brilliant. Had to stop at the end, kept having small inconvenient breaks and realising... You know, if you can't change a nappy because your arm's in plaster again, <laughs> or your wrist at least is in plaster, then um, uh, it's it's a little bit unfair to your co-parent. But um, even thinking about getting back into that. But my point is, the um, the uh, <laughs> I keep laughing as I keep a, a thought keeps occurring to me, and I will share it with you in a moment. But my point is, the um, it, that's what I found with running as well. I am a different human being. So give this a try. If you've ever tried running and hated it. Get together with a mate and have a very gentle 15 minute run whilst you chat. And I bet you'll have, especially if you've never tried that before, I bet you will have a different experience. Right. That is the end of the me convincing you to exercise because there's no zealot like a convert. And this is like when I A, gave up smoking and B, discovered street performing all over again. I then spent years running around the place trying to convert anyone to, hey, everyone, drop everything and become a street performer. <laughs> and uh, and if you're still smoking, read the Alan Carr How to Stop Smoking book, Changed and Saved My Life. Anyway, that's all the zealotry. So the other thing, the reason I've been giggling is that Part of my uh, show at the moment, part of the stuff I'm working on, is about ADHD. I can't remember whether I've spoken to you about it before, um, and I don't care. So <laughs> uh, the reason I was laughing was, look, just to define terms, I've not been diagnosed with anything. I'm not self-diagnosing with anything, but um, I am... Uh, sorry, is that loud enough? Yeah, but but I am branding... Uh, what I think of as my busy brain to myself as me having a busy brain, because whether or not you get a formal diagnosis or whether or not you even have it, I've certainly got the type of brain which sort of likes noticing things and is easily distracted and forgets things a lot. And whether or not that is in a fish can dish, um, then I think of Sarah Barron every time I shorten words like that. Um, then you might as well see if you could benefit from any of the coping strategies associated with those conditions. Um, and, uh, and so I'm just kind of regarding myself as having a busy brain, looking at some coping strategies and what have you. But I'm talking about it a little bit on stage. And the last couple of previews I've done, people have actually laughed out loud. Someone heckled by saying, yes, I've just... Oh, no, they did... sorry, they didn't heckle. I'm confusing two stories. Someone after a show said, yes, it was funny when you mentioned the ADHD stuff about halfway through because I had by that time already diagnosed you as having ADHD based on your act, what you were talking about and how you were talking about it. So whether or not any of it's true, and listen, 
part of why I'm not going to get a diagnosis is because every bloody comedian's got ADHD and I don't want it to be like everyone else, all right? Special and different, thank you. Um, also, it's increasingly occurring to me that I may have spoken to you about this before in, in a post-amble, in which case, sorry for retreading ground, <laughs> but it's kind, it's kind of appropriate, right? Um, so the reason I was laughing through that earlier post-amble today uh, is that I... Now, a couple of times that's happened where people have said, oh, that seems appropriate. Or they've just laughed out loud and I've questioned them from the stage going, why are you laughing at that? That wasn't one of the jokes. And they're saying, well, you mentioned ADHD and it's so obvious. Look, I'm not saying any of these people are experts and I'm not saying there's any benefit necessarily to to, uh, a diagnosis. But certainly having a busy brain and recognising that and getting used to it and going, that's not weird or different. That's just uh, it's like uh, people have got different types of brains. And uh, there might be useful strategies out there for dealing with your particular type of brain if you could but uh, name it or chuck yourself in some sort of category with other people. So there we go. Uh, Should we leave that in? Let's leave it in. No one will bother listening to it. It'll be fine. Um, so, uh, So that's that. That's why I've been laughing at myself. Also... I, because I've been more, I, I'm just noticing it more when I when I take huge swinging changes of direction, make mental notes, forget to act on them later, all the rest of it. But it is, it's just busyness. Um, so, don't cry for me, Argentina. Okay, good. Anything else? Any other business? No, nope. that'll do for now. Lots of love. Bye for now. I tell you what, here's a little extra question as a reward for listening this far. Uh, You seem committed. Thank you. Um, If you've listened this far, would you prefer, because look, we've had a big break now. Going forwards, I can tweak things. I've I've always been able to tweak things. haven't got around to it. Would you prefer me with a postamble to write out some bullet points of what I'm going to talk about? Is this, I worry that these just dissolve into me pinging around my head whilst pinging around my cellar. Um, So I, uh, I, I feel like I could be offering you more value. But then sometimes I think, no, that's nonsense because the, the sort of the honesty and the sort of flappiness of them is is a benefit. But I've got no idea. So by virtue of the fact you've listened this far and are therefore part of a small self-selecting group of people that bother listening to all of these, let me know. Answers on a virtual postcard of some sort or in the ConCom Facebook group or email me or however you like. Would you prefer that I tried to give these a bit more structure or are you happy with me rambling? Because the rambling's easier, but only if it's worth anything. And that's why I put it at the end, so you can opt out. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.